Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see all of you here. I am so excited to be here this morning. Um, on this New Year's Eve, the last day of 2023, we all said, thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> anyway, um, let's greet each other with the greeting Christians have been using for a very, very long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Let's open with prayer, shall we? Father, we do thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for inviting us here this morning as we gather in your name with your people, Lord, and to fellowship, to learn, and to, to know you better, Lord, just, just overall. We thank you, Lord, for each person that's here in this building who is joining us online right now or who will join us later. For each blessing that they are to us, Lord, we are thankful. Be with this service. Be with each one of us. Speak to us, Lord, in a way that only you can. For all these things, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, now if you'd like to join our Doug and Mary, our friends Doug and Mary, as they lead us in worship through song, you're welcome to stand if you're able and, um, and join us as we continue our worship.
We are you, Father. How awesome and a great God you are. Father, uh, we just look forward into this new year. A lot of us, Father, uh, uh, many of us uh, had great successes in 2023, and many of us struggled through it, Father. But either way, Lord, you continued to show your face and your mercy to us. And we thank you so much for everything you do for us, Lord. How great and an awesome God you are. Father, we just ask that uh, you bless Pastor Judy as she delivers this uh, word to us coming into the new year, Father. That it would be, uh, that it would, uh, be a sermon that uh, we can take with us and, and move forward and, and just prepare to, uh, to conquer this, uh, this year. Father, we thank you so much. We just worship you and praise you. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Y'all may pass the peace. I'm not sure I want to interrupt everybody just visiting with each other. I love to hear and to watch everybody just kind of, this, this corner over here, I don't know about them. <laughs> They're a little out of control over here. Loving it, loving it though. Um, we do have a couple of things that are coming up that uh, we want to make sure that everyone's aware of. It is the last day of the year. So if you want to get your year-end giving in here at, um, at Living Hope, today's your day to do that. You can do that by going to livinghope.info slash give um, for it to count for this year's tax deductions, right, our, our charitable giving, um, as well as um, if you have a question, a comment, uh, something you wanna, want us to pray for you about, um, you're welcome to do that. Um, by filling out the green card at the back, dropping it in the box, or you can go to livinghope.info slash connect. You can also give by using the envelopes um, in the box in the back at the same time. Um, we have our warm -a home This is the last Sunday we're going to be collecting, um, specifically emphasizing collecting for the, our warm -a home um, the, There's a few more envelopes on the white tree out in the foyer. That's how you give. It goes directly to them. It doesn't come to, through the church. Um, but this is a way that we help families in our community be able to make sure that they have heat and electricity during the winter months. Um, it, can be, it can be hard this time of year to, um, to make ends meet. And for those families that are at risk of not being able to warm their homes, we want to make sure that we are helping them do that. Um, and then Habitat for Humanity. Uh, we, again, are giving to that um, for... Uh, our next build, which is actually in process. They're, from what I understand, they are in, um, enclosed, and so they're going to be working on the inside of the house, interior of the house. Sam Fisher will be letting us know about um, building opportunities, drywall and different things. So, um, But you can donate that to that again today. Um, and we probably won't talk about these couple things for very long um, going forward until we get a little closer. Um, now, starting tomorrow night, January 1st, is our overnight warming center, our emergency overnight warming center. We still need volunteers for this. So if you don't sleep, <laughs> 
because some of us don't sleep, right? <laughs> um, if you don't sleep anyway, um, it, we would really appreciate um, volunteers who would come and just be here at night. Yeah, Scott's, say, Scott's nodding his head. Yes, yes, he would appreciate the help. Um, Scott's been a very faithful volunteer, and we appreciate that very much. Um, but if you are willing to volunteer or you have questions about that, you can go to livinghope.info forward slash WC for Warming Center. Um, I want to encourage you, um, especially after today, I, I'm kidding, but um, to come back next week. Next week, we are, today we're wrapping up the, our through the Bible in a year, right? Um, and next week, we're starting a whole new adventure. It's going to be an adventure, literally. It's a, that's, at least that's what Pastor Rich told me. No, it, it's going to be a whole new adventure. So you are not going to want to miss this new adventure and, and getting it started. So after Pastor Rich's sermons last week, how many of us went out and got a dragon to put in our nativity scenes? Show of hands. Nobody? No one? I'll admit I didn't either. But, <laughs> but it's, an interesting, it's an interesting way to look at how and why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? In light of, in light of what John tells us in, in the book of Revelation. Well, this morning, like I said, we're going to be wrapping up our year Hang on. Wouldn't you know I'd get a frog in my throat right now. Um, we're going to be wrapping up our, our through the Bible um, by looking at Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Okay? It's the end of what we consider canonical scripture. Canonical is just a big $3 word that just means what we consider to be actual scripture, holy scripture. Okay? And though it's hardly the end of the story, is it? The story of, of Christ and his church didn't end when John wrote Amen, if he wrote Amen, but when Amen was written at the end of the, the book. Um, but before we get to these last two chapters, I think it would help us to have better context if we just had a quick synopsis of chapters 19 and 20. Um, so I listened to the um, Bible Project guys. I love those guys. They're so smart. Way smarter than I am. Way smarter. Um, but listening through, through their video and through their, their um, teachings, this is just an overview of, of what I caught from them. So Revelation 19, 11 through 21, this is the first final battle, okay? It's not a bloodbath. It's not a war like we think of war um, and the way we picture it, though we do see Jesus riding in with robes dipped in blood, only it's his own blood. It's not the blood of his enemies. It's his own. And um, his only weapon is the words from his mouth. It's, it talks about the, the sword that comes from his mouth. It's his, the words that he speaks, the words coming from his mouth. And he rides in as the one who died for his enemies, but now he would be the one that would be meeting out justice to his enemies as he holds them accountable for the evil that they've done. Chapter 20, 1 through 7, is a look at the vindication of the martyrs and their reign for a thousand years. Then 8 through 15 is the final, final battle. <laughs> and and it ref they reference Daniel 7. I'll be honest, I didn't look at Daniel 7 because this is just a really quick overview. But here's where the dragon rallies all of God's enemies, and that would be Babylon, um, Persia, Greece, and now Rome, okay? So the dragon is, is rallying all of the enemies of God and the people who choose to follow those enemies in rebellion against his kingdom. They are all facing the consequences of their defeat by being 
and, and the Bible Project guys use this term, eternally quarantined. We know what quarantine is, don't we? <laughs> All too well. Um, but they're eternally quarantined. We could probably dig into that, but we're not going to today. We don't, <laughs> we don't have time. Now, there's two camps of thought, two, two schools of thought in this that, that the Bible Project guys pointed out is that you can, you can be in the camp that says that Jesus returns and there's a thousand-year reign and then there's the final judgment. Or you can look at it as the thousand-year reign is symbolic of Jesus' present victory and that the two battles are two different views of Jesus' return from two different angles. Whatever camp or anything in between that that you find yourself in is okay. We're not going to argue over it, okay? <laughs> So, the, because the point is, the main point of these two chapters, of this section that we're kind of looking at quickly, is that Jesus will return as king. Period. And he's going to deal with the evil and vindicate his followers. He will be victorious. Plain and simple. That's, that is the main point of that. How it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what's going to happen, when, we really we really don't know. We don't know 100%. We don't, I don't know 20%. All I know is Jesus will return as the king, and he will be victorious. We could stop right there and go home. That's a whole sermon right there, isn't it? We're not, but we could. <laughs> so now we can look at the last two chapters. And it's interesting to see that while this is the end of the book, quote-unquote, the main point of it is focused on new beginnings, it's not wrapping things up neat and tidy like a novel, but instead it's pointing to something new starting. And this is kind of the perfect Sunday to be talking about these new beginnings as we're looking at a new year starting tomorrow. And I, I imagine I'm not the only one that's ready for a new year. <laughs> 2023 was rough for some of us. 2023 was great for some of us. 2023 was a mixed bag for probably most of us with some good things and some hard things and some bad things and some fantastic things all happening throughout the whole year, right? But I, in, in what I see in social media, what I hear from my friends, most of us are pretty much done with this year. We're, we're ready for the next one to start, right? So with that in mind, let's take a look at what this last part of Revelation has to say to us this morning. Now, it's in your handouts. So let's start by looking at chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I, I want to pause really quick. It's weird to think that there's no sea, but that was symbolic. The sea in that time was symbolic of chaos. Okay, and I know Pastor Rich has mentioned that a couple of times. So there's no longer any sea that, that it's gone. So what does that say to us symbolically or metaphorically? There's no more chaos. Can you imagine a world with no more chaos? Just, whew, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Anyway, I don't want to linger there, so let's keep going. So there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. And he hears the Lord speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. In these opening verses of this chapter, we're given a picture of God who is reestablishing his kingdom here on earth. All of the old has gone away. Everything that we know in the here and now is gone. And everything is now made new. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, and no more sorrow, right? God will once again dwell among his people, much like he dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden, right, at the beginning. It's, it's awesome how the last book of the Bible points to the very beginning of the Bible. And it does, we're, we're going to see, it does this often in these two chapters. Um, and it's not l quite like being in the Garden of Eden, because it's going to be even better. Imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been. And, and I even invite you, close your eyes for a minute, and imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been. Maybe it's in the mountains, maybe it's on the beach at the ocean, maybe it's in your, at your grandma's house in her backyard. Someplace simple, the most beautiful place you've ever been. When you think about that place, the most beautiful place you could ever picture, multiply that by eternity. And that's what the new Jerusalem is going to be like. Isn't that an awesome picture? The next part that we are looking at now is verses 9 through 21. We're only going to read up to verse 14. Okay, so just, just so you don't have to listen to me drone for, <laughs> for that much longer. But one of the seven angels, it says here, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me. So this is an angel that John is familiar with, okay? He said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, the rest of those verses through 21 go on to describe the measurements of the city and the materials that it was built with. Things like gold and jasper, again. Precious stones were laid in the foundation. And even the gates, each one was made of a single pearl. That had to be some pretty big pearls, doesn't it? I mean, when I think of pearls, I think of a strand and a necklace, and they're teeny tiny. It's a, not a very big gate. These had to be ginormous pearls. 
okay? And with the rest of this book, we, we have to consider that this might not be a literal description of the city and the wall around it, but just John might have been doing his best to describe the immeasurable beauty of it. How many of us, and you're going to show your age if you remember this, how many of us remember the TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? <laughs> we just, we all just aged ourselves, didn't we? Um, but in that TV show, Robin Leach was the host, right? I, I know I asked my husband on the way here, I asked Phil on the way here, um, but I just want to make sure. But he would show, he would chaperone us, I guess, through, through these homes of these rich and, and wealthy people, rich beyond anything I could imagine. And we would see, you know, gold fixtures and imported wood and thick carpets and marble everything. And, and this was an opulence that, that any, I could never imagine. I could, I don't know that I could, I don't think I could live in that. I would be afraid of breaking something, scratching something, you know. But, but here, John is attempting to describe something that's even infinitely more beautiful and more opulent than anything that the richest person on earth could ever imagine building. Even if they bought the best of everything, they still could never match. They could never come close to touching even the, the, the low end of the richness, the opulence, the beauty and the brilliance of this new Jerusalem that God is preparing for us. Yet this is the new Jerusalem that God is preparing to bring down to the new earth. In this next section, John makes an interesting observation about this city. Verses 22 to 27, it says, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor onto it, into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here he says he doesn't see a temple. That's the, the city of Jerusalem was built to house the temple where God dwelled, where his presence dwelled, wasn't it? That was the center, really, of the city, was where, Jesus, where, where God's presence dwelled. But there isn't a temple in the new Jerusalem. He didn't see a sun or a moon because they weren't needed. We don't need the sun for light. We don't need the moon to reflect it in the evening because the presence of God, the triune God, is the temple of Jerusalem. It's indwelled in all that he is and all that, that he, he has created. He is the temple and he is the light in that city. There's no need for lamps because God is there. He is the source. And this imagery reminds us a little bit of the Garden of Eden, right? With Jesus, God being there. I, I keep saying God, Jesus. They are interchangeable. They are triune. But I want to keep them a little bit straight for this. 
This, it reminds us a bit of the Garden of Eden, but it's not a step back to the original. We're not looking backward to this other than to remember, because this is actually a move forward into the eternal kingdom where God and his brilliance shines forever. Not like in the Arctic Circle. I, I thought of this as I was thinking about, you know, the sun never going down. You know, in the Arctic Circle in the summertime, the sun never actually sets. It just kind of is dusky for some, some hours. But this is a, instead a full noon cloudless, let me try that again, a full noon cloudless blue sky sunshine kind of light times a gajillion. That's a real word. I made it up. It's a real world. Time's a gajillion. No one and nothing is allowed in that would dim the brilliance that is God's presence in this new city. Nothing impure, nothing that can dim that and make it any less is allowed there. Are we starting to get a picture of what this is going to be like? In this next section, um, in chapters 22, verses 1 through 5, it gives us more of a look back, look forward imagery. It's a look back, look forward at the same time. Um, Here, John continues with, by saying, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will forever be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, in this part, John sees the tree of life, which alludes to the Garden of Eden, right? Where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't mention that here, just the tree of life. Um, But then he mentions the river of the water of life that flows from the throne of the triune God right down Main Street, right down the middle. Imagine having just a river running through Main Street, right down Lincoln Way here in Valpo. Only this this is a river that its source is the throne of God. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well? Everybody, we remember that? Okay. In that story, he told the woman that he would give her water that would make her never thirst again. And it sounded ridiculous to be able to drink water that would make you never thirsty, didn't it? In fact, the woman was like, what what are you talking about? How is that possible, right? But here we see the river of the water of life. And maybe I'm connecting things that aren't meant to be connected. But I can't help but wonder if the water that Jesus was talking about then was looking forward to the water that John is writing about here in this river of life. So again, there's this inclusion of the original, but a looking forward to something completely new, the tree of life mentioned here. It's different from the original in that it's said to bear 12 crops of fruit. Now, I don't remember, I could be wrong, I don't remember reading in Genesis what kind of fruit the tree of life bore, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In our traditions, we generally think of it as an apple, right? But we don't know. We don't know what the fruit was. But here it tells us that it bore 12 crops of fruit, and we know that trees can only bear one kind of fruit, right? It's either an apple or an orange or a peach or 
a pear or whatever, but it bore 12 crops of fruit and then bore a fresh crop each month. Now, this defies everything that we know about agriculture, doesn't it? (laughs) But while we know of many plants and herbs that have healing properties, leaves of the fruit trees aren't one that I am aware of. I've never heard of fruit tree leaves and, you know, apple tree leaves having healing properties. Yet the leaves of this tree are used to make a medicine that heals the nations. Not, not, it doesn't indicate necessarily a, a physical healing. But when we look at our world today and all of the conflict that's happening, the wars that are happening, the, the, the political discord that is even in our own country, yeesh, Yet the the leaves of this tree are used to make a medicine that will heal the nations. Wow. How awesome would that be? And I have a feeling that a solid understanding of the meaning of this healing would take a really deep study. (laughs) But again, here at a glance, we see the original garden, right, that points forward to this new city. We also see this going forward to something new in verse 5. In the original garden, the sun set every evening, didn't it? In fact, in creation, God said there was morning, there was evening, and that was the first day. So there was, there was morning, there was night, and that marked time for us. That's how we marked time. But in the new Jerusalem, the sun never sets. There's no night because God is the source of light. There's no need for an evening. The light shines on all who serve the Lord, and they reign as his image bearers with him forever. This is huge. This points to eternity. If there's no way to mark time, there's no morning and evening, there's no way to mark time, time doesn't exist. Okay, now I'm getting a little deep. Smoke is going to start curling out of my ears here in a minute. But there's no need to mark time because time doesn't matter because now we're existing eternally with God. That is some really deep, heavy stuff. And if you think about it too long, it'll blow your mind. It really will. So we're we're not going to stay here too long. And it's beyond what John really could adequately describe, though he does a pretty good job with the limited vocabulary he had available to him. Now, scholars have agreed for quite some time that this is how we, as followers of Jesus, are going to spend eternity in this new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth. Somehow, though, our traditions have developed a a different picture of how we spend eternity. It looks more like floating around on clouds with angels and, you know, some sort of celestial place beyond space somewhere. But... Here we're given a picture of what eternity is going to look like. A really clear picture of what heaven, quote-unquote, and eternity are going to be. I, for one, can't wait for that day. I can't wait for the day that this all comes to be, and I see all of this for myself. And it's going to be all that John describes here, and yet so much more. But hang on. (laughs) We're not done yet. (laughs) In the closing sections of chapter 22, we hear the words of Jesus, okay? So let's look at verses 6 and 7. It starts out with the angel saying, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. 
The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, Jesus is talking. In my Bible, it had it as red letters. So this is Jesus talking. It says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy written on this scroll. Here the angel confirms for John that everything he has seen and heard is legit. It's, what does he say? It's trustworthy and true. There's no falsehood in this, okay? But then Jesus pipes in (laughs) and says, look, I'm coming soon. The angel then reiterates the instructions to obey and keep the words in the scroll in verses 8 through 11. He's encouraging the followers of God to to stay the course, to keep obeying, to stay true to to what he's been telling us in in this vision. And then in verse 12, Jesus again speaks directly and repeats himself. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, we read that a little bit ago where God said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, right? The beginning and the end. And now Jesus is saying it here, too. And then the the angel says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Then Jesus speaks again. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Now this little part here can be kind of confusing, because it almost sounds like we're being invited to come, and we kind of are at the, the last part of it. But a closer, looks at the, a closer look at the bride, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, they're inviting and perhaps even encouraging Jesus to return, to come. To which we say, amen, right? Do we not want Jesus to return? Do we not invite him to come? He says, I try to imagine what it might be like to finally be reunited with Christ. And we see pictures or paintings or, or we read books and, and accounts of people maybe who um, have claimed to have had a, a, um, a near-death experience But the closest I can come, personally, to beginning to even scratch the surface of what that reunion would be, would be um, when my son, our son, mine and Phil's, when he was graduating from Army basic training. And if there's other parents that have been there, you understand. We hadn't seen him in months. Months. Seemed like years, but it it was months. And we'd only spoken to him very briefly, maybe two or three times in that time. And when we got to graduation weekend and all of the soldiers that were completing basic training, they were all lined up in formation. I looked for my son in the sea of camouflage. (laughs) They all looked the same. Same haircut, same uniform. It was hard to pick him out. It really was. But then I found him. I found him in that sea of camo 
And when we were finally released, they, they didn't release them, they released the parents and the families. When we were finally released to go find our soldiers, the relief at being able to, to see him and touch him and hug him and talk to him was overwhelming. Even now when I think about it, it overwhelms me. And the love that I had always had for him overflowed in that moment and leaked right out of my eyes. <laughs> my heart nearly broke for how happy I was to see my son, to hug him, to touch him, to know that he was okay. And when I think about what it will be like to finally see Jesus face to face and in the flesh, how it will be like this, but infinitely so much more. I can hardly stand it to be reunited with someone I love here on earth. How will we ever bear it to be reunited with Christ in that new city? Whew. That'll get some folks shouting. Apparently none of us, but some folks would shout at that. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But the closing words of what we know as the Bible offer us so much hope here. They're simply yet perfectly wrap up all that John has seen and wrote. In these last two verses, they say this. He who testifies to these things, and he's indicating Jesus, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The hope that is contained in that little phrase, yes, I am coming soon. Some people might get wrapped up in the timelines and the prophecies of Jesus' returns, and that's all fine. But all of that aside, we have the assurance that Jesus will come back. We don't know when. It might be. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It may never happen in our lifetimes. My grandchildren may not see it. But we still have the hope and the assurance that Jesus has said, yes, I am coming soon. So what does that mean in eternal timing? We don't know. Though many people have made it their mission to try and find out, haven't they? But the point of all that we've been looking at this morning is that in the meantime, God is making all things new. He is making the new Jerusalem. That when the time is right and it comes and descends onto earth, it will be ready. It will be prepared. And then we are welcomed into this new city of Jerusalem and we will spend eternity with him there. But God isn't waiting. He's not waiting to make things new. He makes things new every single day for us. Each and every day, we have the opportunity for a new beginning, a new heart, a renewed mind. In a few minutes, we're going to be receiving communion together. And I love that our church, our denomination, doesn't put barriers around receiving communion. No one has to be a member of this church. You don't have to take special classes to receive the elements. You only have to be in right relationship with God. Or as Pastor Rich says, you need to be saying yes to God today. Be saying yes to Jesus. Every day, every moment, this is how we're made new. Now it's not in your handout, I apologize. But in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone and a new life has begun. This is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, eternal thing. It's the not-yet-right-now not kingdom of God that is being made new over and over and all of the time. And we don't have to wait for a new beginning. We can have it today, right now, in this moment even. It's as simple as saying no. Saying no to the old, to the way we've been doing things, to the mistakes and to the failures, to the wrongs and the sinful things that we have done. And saying yes to Jesus. Yes to following him. Yes to obeying him. Yes to knowing him more and more. Yes to reflecting him more and more. And this new beginning is for everyone, whether you're saying yes for the first time or saying yes again. I invite you to pray with us, pray together as we anticipate this new year, these new beginnings, these new opportunities to say yes to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you, Lord, for these words of hope that you give us. Not words that we dread, not words of of fear that you've given us, Lord, at what we can look forward to at the end of, of what we know as this earth. But, Lord, words of hope and words of, of life that you give us when you reveal to us what it will be like to be reunited with you once again, to be reunited with you in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, and the new earth. Father, we thank you for this reality. Though we may never see the reality, Lord, we thank you for it nevertheless. And Lord, we pray this morning. I pray this morning that we will say yes to you every moment, every day, that we will obey you, that we will listen for your voice. And with everything that we do, we will follow you. To the best of our ability in those places, Lord, where we fail, your grace and your mercy, your love for us, Lord, renew us each moment. Lord, as we prepare to receive the elements of communion, I thank you. I thank you for the bread and for the cup, Lord, as, as it reminds us. It reminds us that though there was an old way of doing things, though there was an old way of sacrifice, you, Jesus, made a way for us to be reconciled and redeemed through your death and resurrection. Thank you for that reminder today. And bless the elements. Bless the bread and the cup as we partake and we receive this morning as you invite us to your table. Again, Lord, renew us. Remind us of the the new beginnings that you have for us each and every day. Remind us of the the new beginning that, that the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth that is awaiting us, Lord, when this life as we know it is no longer here, when we no longer exist in this, this plane that we've come to know as life. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful reminder this morning. And now join me, if you would, in praying the prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. 
Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Doug and Mary are going to come forward again and play, and we're going to receive communion this morning. Um, you're welcome to come forward and take a piece of bread from the basket and dip it in the cup. Um, we do have gluten-free wafers if that is something that you're in need of. And we also um, have communion elements on the table if you're more comfortable staying seated. God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away.
Thank you, Doug and Mary. It's an old favorite. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for your table as we gather together. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one as we go from this place. Make this moment a new beginning for each of us. Make this moment an opportunity for us to say yes and continue saying yes to you as we go from here. Be with each one. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. And in way of blessing, I just want to read the last couple of verses from our scripture this morning. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of God's people. Amen.